Yes, Father, we do. We sing of your goodness. We can spend and we will spend the rest of eternity as your people singing of the mighty deeds that you have done to save us and redeem us of all your good works. And so we come now before you in your presence and we just ask that you speak to us, that you come now and then that you reveal your love to us by your Spirit. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen, great. You can feel free to grab a seat. Um, I've got a really exciting announcement, actually. Um, This is a first for me, and um, my father-in-law is thinking it's gonna be something else, but um, there is a car with its lights on outside, 304 IBN, it's a blue Kia Rio. Um, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that for the first time, so do not feel bad about that. I really, um, really enjoy that, so that was good. This week, if that's you, feel free to head out whenever you get the chance. But for me, this week has been a big week of firsts, actually. Um, And on Tuesday night, I got an incredible call up um, from Matt, actually, and he said, bro, I'm ready. And that meant that I had to drive over to his place uh, really quickly and jump in the car with them and go to the hospital. And on the way, I found out for the first time what the Bible calls birth pangs are. Um, For those of you who are unschooled or aren't um, up to date with the sort of language that we throw around as pastors, that just means contractions. Um, So that was a first for me, seeing that. I'm one step closer to knowing fully how a baby is born. Um, That was a first. The other thing that I did this week is I got to preach on a Friday night about death. It's pretty morbid. And here I am tonight, and I get to preach about, what is it again? Satan. So pray for me. This is a pretty full-on weekend. But so we're in this, as Twig said, we're in this um, series called The Invisible War, and we're looking at the spiritual battle um, that we as Christians find ourselves in. And in fact, all of humanity finds themselves in. And I was reminded as I was preparing for this sermon of a great quote from a movie that I've watched, uh, The Usual Suspects. And it says this, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. See, the, the influence that Satan has on our society, particularly in the West, tends more towards the disbelief end of the spectrum. We, we don't uh, really have an overt affinity for spiritual forces or, th- or things of that like. Our reality is one of materialism and skepticism. Increasingly though, we are exposed to the evils of terrorism or ethnic cleansing, communities that are exposed to and run off fear. But even then, we find it hard to believe that there are spiritual powers that are enticing humanity into destruction. Now the claim of the Bible and Jesus himself talks around this, his whole life is lived around this, that whether it's overt or covert, 
whether it's materialism and skepticism or um, terrorism on the other hand and spiritual worship on the other, spirit worship, humanity is contending with a very real enemy. So we're gonna have a look at what the Bible has to say around this person, Satan. And we're gonna look at John 8, verse 31 to 44. And in this scenario, Jesus is speaking to a group of Jewish people um, who, are, who are on the road to believing what he's saying, but then he says to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we will be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You were doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God. I've not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is God's word to us this evening. And it's a pretty intense interaction, what's happening here. The words on Jesus' Jesus' mouth are quite stark. And so what we're gonna have a look at tonight are three things briefly. We're gonna look at who is the enemy, what are his tactics, and where do we find ourselves? Where does that leave us? So who is the enemy? What are his tactics? Where does that leave us? And we see that we're looking at Satan through the lens of the Bible. And as we do that, you'll no doubt realize that you might know a bit about him in, from personal experience. You may have encountered him and his lies and tactics before. And there are a few perspectives that we get from the Bible on who Satan is. We'll see that the devil is a spiritual being gone wrong. Usually, 
I'm a big fan of starting in Genesis, uh, but tonight we are going to look at Ezekiel 28, 14 to 17 to get a bit more of an insight into Satan's character. And then we're gonna circle back to the Genesis account with the serpent there. So Ezekiel 28, 14 to 17 says this, um, speaking around Satan, you were anointed as a a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So what we see here, the picture we have of Satan is someone who has a high status as a guardian cherub. This is where he started, but became self-conceited. He became proud and was expelled from God's presence. And in Isaiah 14, we see another depiction of this same rebel as the morning star, the son of the dawn, who said to himself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high. And as he grasps for power himself, he's cast down by God. But these aren't his only traits. We've seen he's proud and arrogant. He's filled with violence and jealousy. He's against God. Jesus himself calls him the father of lies, a murderer from the beginning. He's a deceiver, a slave master. I wonder what it would be like to do a character reference for this guy. Imagine you get the call up and someone says, hey, we, we're looking at employing someone and we've got, a re- we, we've got you as a character reference. Uh, this guy, Satan, do you know him? Um, how would that go, do you think? Um, maybe you might tell them the truth and they, they if they are a law firm, might uh, maybe think that it's okay to accept him into their firm. No, sorry if you're a lawyer, no... Uh, No offense there, I'm sure there are some really good lawyers here, honest lawyers. But apart from these character traits, uh, there's also a couple of other traits that we see here. We see that he's powerful and he's beautiful. He's attractive, the morning star, the sun of the dawn. There are actually some traits that he could use to his advantage. Jesus calls him the prince of this world and Satan himself actually claims to hold the authority and glory of all the kingdoms on earth. He says that when he's tempting Jesus in the wilderness. John says the whole world lies in his power. Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's got power and he's active 
He's not a sleeping giant that you can tiptoe your way around and hope to get by. This is someone who's awake, he's active, and he's looking for people, anyone he can lay his hands on. So this gives us a bit of a rough outline of someone who's pretty rough around the edges. It's, this is the person we're dealing with. He's a formidable enemy. He's not someone to take lightly. So what are his interactions like with us? What are his tactics? Ultimately, we see that what Satan wants is to be equal to or above God. At any cost, this is his desire. He wants to exert authority over all things. So he aims at anything that is set above him and he seeks to put that under himself. And so we come to Genesis where we read that humans are made in God's image, in his likeness. And that as humans, we're given authority to rule the earth. So knowing what we know about Satan, the fact that he comes for us, the ones who have authority over the earth, the ones who are like God, image bearers of God, it's no wonder given his character, that he wants to take us down. Genesis 3, one to six says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. We see whereas humans were created to be like God, Satan wants to be equal to God. And instead of humans being like God, he wants to make humans like him. So he plants the exact same seed that's in his own heart the seed, the desire to be equal with God. He wants us as humans to imitate him. And he knows exactly what he's doing. As soon as Adam and Eve grasp for what they desire, just like he did, then they become like him rather than like God. And if they're like him, then he has authority over them. They become, as Jesus put it, children of the devil rather than children of God. This guy, he's cunning, he's jealous. If humans have authority over the earth and he can have authority over them, then he becomes the prince of this world. 
He's a master strategist, like a, like a, a chess grandmaster. He's looking 30 steps ahead. He's hateful, he's against God. If God loves humanity, then he's gonna turn humanity against God. If he sees God as humanity, then he wants us to do the same. He wants us to be implicated with him in everything that he does. If he's going down, then he's gonna take us down with him. Now that we've seen who he is, we're looking a bit at his tactics. You might think to yourself, well, who would ever wanna follow this guy? Who would want to do the things that this guy is doing? It's like when you try, this is, it's similar to this, right? When you try to explain to your parents when you were younger why you did something that your friend did and they say, well, you know, if Johnny jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? And you go, well, depends, you know, how, how high are we talking, you know? No, of course, you go, well, no, of course I wouldn't do that. And in the same way, why would we follow Satan? Well, this is where another one of Satan's traits comes in handy, the deceiver, the father of lies. Paul actually says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So he makes things seem good for us when they aren't. He draws out desires for things that aren't ours to have. He makes God seem to be a liar or makes him seem like he's out to get us. He's the master of subtlety and half-truths. Notice when he's talking to Eve, he doesn't even explicitly say that God is lying. All he needs to say is, did God really say? He makes God out to seem like he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Die? No, you won't die. Again, it's like when you're growing up and you're at your grandparents' house or your auntie's house, your favorite auntie, and she is giving you all the food that your parents never allowed you to have, all, all the chocolate. And your first impression, your first reaction is not to think, wow, if my parents allowed me to do this, I'd die an early death. You don't think that. Instead, you think, man, my parents are really holding out on me, right? In the same way, Satan makes us doubt God's goodness, doubt his power, doubt his authority. Satan makes himself out to be the good guy by handing us good things at the wrong time or in the wrong quantity or at the expense of others. He inflames our desire for more at any cost. And while he does this, he whispers, God wouldn't allow you to have this. He sells us comfort so that we can waste our lives away. C.S. Lewis actually puts it like this, talking about this subtlety of how Satan weaves his way into our lives. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, 
without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Our very lives are at stake here. And left to our own devices, Satan has us sitting comfortably in his pocket. Satan is not only cunning and subtle, he knows us well. He's been with humanity for thousands of years. He knows our weaknesses. His lies are systematized in the very fabric of our society. This is who he is. These are his tactics. So where do we stand in all of this? In light of his cunning, his intelligence, his hold on humanity, do we even stand a chance? Charles Spurgeon, in the early 20th century, preacher then, puts it quite well um, um, like this. There's a quote, I'll read it here. He says, I bid you again to look at your great adversary that you may realise how stern is the conflict in which you are engaged. You are often afraid of Satan, but he is never afraid of you. If you turn your back in the day of battle, it is not likely that he will turn his. If you are to come off more than conqueror in this lifelong fight, you must be no mere featherbed soldier. If you have only the name of a Christian and not the nature of a Christian, defeat must certainly await you. Count the cost of this campaign before you commence it. See whether your force of 1,000 is likely to prevail against your adversary's 100,000. And then, as you realise your own insufficiency, cry to the strong for strength. Rely upon your almighty ally and in his might, Go forth to this holy war, rejoicing in the assurance that the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. This is so important for us to understand. Satan does have authority, but his authority is limited. Ultimately, authority is God, God's. And what we need to understand here is that when Jesus is coming to earth, it's not a slapstick solution. Jesus is coming into a battlefield. By ourselves, we have no hope. We can't even see truth from lies, right from wrong, good from evil. By ourselves, we're literally children of the devil. The whole world, we are against Jesus, this is the battlefield that he's coming into, the domain of Satan. And Satan himself has his own plan. He thinks that he'll use his slaves, he'll use humanity to murder Jesus, the Son of God. If he can get us to do this, then once and for all, he'll seal our status in humanity as his children. Seal us in his great lie. Make us forever against God, murderers like he is. This is what he thinks. Surely, if he can get us to kill God's son, God will count us as enemies. Then our destruction would be certain. 
But we know, if, if you're a Christian here tonight, you know that the event of what Jesus has done, this incredible event in history plays out very differently. Instead of sealing us in Satan's lie forever, Jesus' death and resurrection expose this monumental lie, the lie that God is against us and therefore we need to be against him, the lie that we can get what we want on our own. We had set ourselves up against God as if he was our enemy and the cross is the result of that. But rather than Satan and us being in control as we murdered Jesus, Jesus was found to be in control, taking our sin willingly on the cross. He did it not to condemn us, but for our forgiveness, to reveal the truth about God's love for us. The cross shows us that while we were against God, he was not against us. Satan, the slave master, is destroyed in this very event. What Satan thought was his victory was his downfall. Satan veiled and shrouded the truth. He enslaved us in his lie that God is the enemy. Jesus unveiled the truth and invites us back to be his children, to be like him. Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 puts this powerful truth so succinctly. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. What a powerful truth. This is the end result. This, if we know God as our Father, we realise that he has sent his Son out of love to save us from the dominion of darkness, he opens up the door and we can enter in to this new reality. It's from this place in John 8, 31 to 30, 32 that Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this is the truth, that Jesus has opened the door for us to be children of God, to be like Him. Our faith and our trust in God are restored through Jesus. This is what the letter to the Colossians says, if, if you find that your faith is in Jesus, 
This is what it says. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, the domain of Satan, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, as children of God, we follow Jesus in carrying out the desires of our Father in heaven, rather than the desires of Satan, the father of lies. The choice is set before us, moment by moment, to follow Jesus by faith and reject the lies of the enemy. To be children of God rather than children of the devil. To be imitators of Jesus rather than of Satan. To stand firm, unshaken, living by faith in Jesus, knowing that though the battle is raging, Satan has been defeated. His destruction is certain. The victory is already won. And so this is the call for us tonight from Jesus Himself, from God Himself, His desire for you to know His love, to know that He is good, that He is for you, that He wants you to have life and life to the full. This is the call. As we continue in worship, to renew your faith in Him, to assert your faith in Him, to bring the lies that maybe even this very week, Satan has been pouring into your life, doubt, talking about you in ways that maybe, how can God forgive you for that? How can you be a child of God if you are doing this? Well, this is the call to, to in light of the victory of what Jesus has done, the door that He's opened to reject the lies of the enemy and to enter in once again, every day, moment by moment into the life, into the fullness of what He has for you to expose the lies. If there's been anything that's been wrestling in your heart tonight, maybe it is a lie that Satan's been pestering you with. Maybe it's something that he's been bringing you down with. Maybe it's a doubt. Whatever that is, this is an opportunity to bring it to light. That might mean that after the service, you come down, you have a chat to one of the pastors, or maybe just bring that to a friend. Bring it to light, to the light of the gospel of what Jesus has done, who He's revealed God to be, and who now you get to be in light of what He's done. If you're online there and you... Uh, you sense that as well. You can hit the prayer button. We'd love to pray for you and to do the journey with you as well. Um, if, this, if this has been something that you feel you've felt prompted to, to respond to Jesus in some way, maybe for the first time, you can hit that respond button there as well. But let's pray, church. Let's come to our great God, knowing that He has won the victory in full confidence that he is for us. And if He is for us, 
Who can be against us? He has defeated the enemy. In the coming weeks, we'll explore this idea more and what the truth of living in step with the Spirit, with the full armour of God, all these, this, this free gift that He's given us to battle the enemy, to walk in, um, to follow in His footsteps. But let's just sit in this victory tonight. Let's worship Him. Let's give Him all honour and praise. Let's pray. Father, we come to You knowing that You are good. It's not some arbitrary reality. This is a real truth that's found in history. You sent Your Son for us. You've confirmed it in our hearts by Your Spirit. The love of God, Your love has been poured out into our hearts. So Father, we ask that You continue to confirm our calling as we live day by day, as we live moment by moment, rejecting the lies of the enemy, rejecting the false life that He puts before us and grabbing hold of the fullness of life that You have for us as we walk in Your footsteps. So Father, come now, fill us with Your Spirit afresh. Reveal to us again the love that You have for us. It's demonstrated in Christ. We look to Him now, to that wonderful event What Satan thought was our destruction is our life, our forgiveness, our joy. Thank you for what you've done. Be with us now as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's continue to worship. Feel free to stand now and let's worship our great God. That's a great word for us tonight. And I'm just reminded though, sometimes when we talk about the enemy and his schemes, it can uh, almost, he can almost be glorified and there can be a sense of like, oh, wow, we're in such a massive battle here. But I was just reminded as Dan was sharing in Ephesians, it talks about our battle is not against flesh and blood, but there's a verse that reminds us of the victory that we have in Christ and that we can stand firm because if you are in Christ, the battle has been won. It's quite remarkable. And it says this in verse 13, Ephesians, it says, therefore, Put on every piece of God's armour so you will be able to resist uh, the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Now why? Because you're in Christ. There's victory in Him. And that's why we can stand and we can celebrate and give glory to God because of victory in Him. That if you're in Christ, there's no no need to be fearful. No need to be worried or concerned about the enemy's schemes. You are in Christ. And so as you go out this week, wherever you're going, wherever God's leading you or calling you to this week, your university, the neighbourhood in which you live, uh, your workplace, whatever it might be and whatever He's calling you to, you can walk in the victory of Christ because you are in Him. Be reminded of that. Let me pray for you as we head out. Father, we just thank You. The victory is in You, great God. We thank You that we are on the winning side. It's That's why we celebrate. That's why we worship. That's why we praise and honour You, great God. You've won the victory. And so we thank You, Father God. Thank You uh, that the opportunity to know that victory in You is available to all people. And there's maybe some that are listening right now, whether it's online or here, 
that are wondering, hey, I'd love to know what it means to truly have victory in Christ. And if that's you, feel free uh, to come and chat to one of the pastors. Feel free to hit that button online, whatever it might be. But we thank you that that availability is in you, great God. I thank you for every person. I pray that you'd uh, lead them and guide them this week, wherever they are, that they might have a profound impact for your kingdom this week, great God, we pray. So we thank You for the opportunity to be used by You and know that victory is ours in You, we pray. So we thank You, great God, we love You and we pray all these things in Jesus' Name, Amen. Amen. Very good to have you online with us tonight. So good to have you here uh, in person. If you wanna join us, feel free to book online from Tuesday onwards and you can come and be here with us. But God bless you guys so much. Have an amazing week. And I really do pray that God would use you powerfully this week wherever you are. God bless. We'll see you next week. Well, thanks for joining with us for our service today. If you sense God speaking to you, we'd love to help you on the journey of faith. You can reach out to us by emailing hello at bridgman.org.au or if you have a prayer need, don't forget to email us at prayer at bridgman.org.au and we'd love to pray for you. Thanks so much for sharing with us today and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.